0: A good murder mystery has a corpse, a sleuth, and clues that lead to a more satisfying conclusion than the butler did it. Much like we know stories about secure code can rarely end with the compiler did it. Which means this week we talk with Cynthia Burke about data privacy and why data security is just the starting point for piecing together the complex puzzle needed to make privacy effective. In the news segment, the mystery of the security engineer, the case of the evil Go package, the deserialized body. The Exchange Murders, and more. Check your alibis and stay tuned for Application Security Weekly. This is a Security Weekly production.
1: It's the show to learn the latest tools, techniques, and processes necessary to understand DevOps, application security, and cloud security. Your trusted source for the latest application security news. It's time for Application Security Weekly. Application security is hard when security is separated from your DevOps workflow. Security has traditionally been the final hurdle in the development lifecycle. Iterative development workflows can make security a release bottleneck. With GitLab, security is built into the CICD process. Every code commit is automatically scanned for security vulnerabilities in your code and its dependencies. Results are delivered to the developer in their native workflow for rapid remediation. Learn how GitLab enables DevSecOps. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash GitLab for a 30-day free trial. Cloud-native development presents new challenges for security teams. Ephemal workloads are scattered across services, and it's hard to identify resources, monitor configurations, and ensure compliance. Prisma Cloud by Palo Alto Networks is a comprehensive cloud-native security platform, delivering full-stack protection for multi- and hybrid cloud environments. It provides deep visibility, threat detection, and data security, as well as protection for hosts, containers, and serverless while enforcing policy guardrails. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash prismacloud to gain control over your cloud
0: security. This is episode 142, recorded March 8th, 2021. I'm your host, Mike Shima, and I'm here with John Kinsella. Hello, John. Good morning. How are you, Mike? I'm doing quite well, and hopefully you are as well. I'm peachy. (laughs) Peachy. Excellent. I bet I know why you're peachy because you've been staying in the loop on all things Security Weekly by visiting uh, securityweekly.com/slash subscribe to subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher or our YouTube channel. Sign up for our mailing list and to join our Discord server, and you could be chatting with us right now. If you miss Security Weekly Unlocked, you can now access all of the content on demand by visiting securityweekly.com/unlocked. You'll find plenty of informative discussions among the offensive, defensive, and strategy and culture tracks. Cynthia Burke brings more than 15 years of IT and compliance experience to Capsulate. Prior to joining Capsulate as compliance manager, Cynthia was an assistant director and program manager with KPMG's International Audit Division, leading projects to develop KPMG's audit collaboration tools. Hello, Cynthia. Thank you for joining us.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Well, we have you here to talk about data protection and data privacy and all things protecting data, but all things protecting data are more than just encryption, data security. So maybe we should start there. You know, wh- Why are we talking about, or, or give us a teaser about why we'll be talking about privacy on the technical and compliance side of things, and that's much more important, or that's much more than just talking about the security side of things.
2: Absolutely. Well, there's so much going on right now, right? Any compliance professional privacy professional will tell you that 2020 and 2021, they were game changers in terms of new legislation, uh, new privacy laws in multiple states across the U.S., Um, the invalidation of the EU-U.S. privacy shield. It's just it's more than it's ever been for a um, privacy professional, security professional uh, to kind of take in and understand how to implement in a reasonable way uh, without disrupting production, quite frankly.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, just starting with talking about the US, you know, there's a lot of laws that have come through, but there's got we have 50 states. So I'm going to guess we have 50, maybe even 51 different way things you have to keep in mind. Just how complex does that look right now?
2: It it's it, it's kind of mind boggling to be honest. Um, you know, both from a you know compliance professional perspective, as also a security provider perspective. Um, just to give it, I mean, honestly, we'll talk about um, maybe there's about 15 states I'll say today that are have privacy legislation up for consideration this calendar year, but that information that i said will be out of date in probably less than two days it is happening so fast in real time and you know like you said 50 different states defining privacy in 50 different ways so it's really what is privacy it's privacy is now a homonym i've I've just started to say to my colleagues you know it (laughs) depends on which lens you're looking through from which state um of, of what that means and So yeah, for for a security engineer, chief privacy officer, compliance manager, it's it's a lot to to manage right now. And it's got to be a lot to go ahead, John. Up up until
3: a few years ago, um, the way I think way a lot of folks thought about privacy was like, okay, figure out which data country has the most, um, I'll say aggressive terms, and we're just going to do what they do. So like either GDPR or California, New York are is 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 the juggle for you more of keeping track of all the different states, or keeping track of who is the most um, uh, um, uh, has the most stringent regulations that you have to guys have to keep track of? Which which is sort of the most? Which way do you go on that?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question, and it kind of gets to the heart of the challenge. Actually, um, if you want to use like the principle of least privilege, but apply it to maybe compliance in terms of data privacy. You know gdpr is certainly, you know, the the parent of of, of a lot of these schools of thought but there's privacy rights activists um, Who should rightfully be enthused about the fact that we're talking about this the fact that we're digging into this subject overall But from you know an implementation standpoint It starts to get super complicated super fast. There are not Common understandings of even what personally identifiable information is. So I cannot use like this principle of least privilege or most restrictive. Like, what is the most restrictive? Let's we, honestly, if I if I were to to look at the the legislation and kind of just summarize from what I understand in, in my um, reading of what's up uh, for votes this year or up as legislation, honestly, I'd say Washington State which is has not passed, but it probably is the most aggressive in terms of uh, the controls and, and, and the rights that it's, it's attempting to give to consumers. Um, but when we're looking at 50 different states and we're not even agreeing on what constitutes personally identifiable information or private information, how, how there is no common, there is no common denominator. I mean, we're even having disagreements in states on what constitutes the word sale, sale of personal information. Um, so our lack of definitions is, is really, I think, goes to the heart of, um, you know, not being able to s- discuss this in a uniform way. There's not uniform terminology.
0: And that le- and kind of ambiguity has to make it really tough too on the you know on the mean. app side of things, the technical side, to figure out well what should we be doing? Because I think some of the states are also you know you talk you pointed out the ambiguity and just what is personal information, but right. a lot of the laws have gone beyond breach notification, right? And oh, they're starting yeah. to look at other things like what you know what other are these requirements coming out that possibly are still ill defined.
2: Okay, so it's a great question again. Um, Almost, I, I think it's. This is a true statement. Every state has some form of breach notification. So let's just take the California Consumer Privacy Act, uh, which is a was a ballot measure, and in twenty twenty, um, actually the California Privacy Rights Act was became uh, was on the ballot and was passed. Um, which gives a governing body in California, the right to oversee like a data protection authority. So that's really focused on consumers and, and the rights that a consumer me would have to be able to call up a firm in California and say, Hey, um, what do you have in terms of personal information on me and may I see it and may I edit it or, um, delete certain portions of it. So this gets to, you know, data access and data, um, you know, integrity monitoring, file integrity monitoring, data access monitoring, identity access, where if you go to like New York, we look in New York state and it's really focused on at least the New York shield act It's really focused on breach notification. And, um, you know, the types of timelines that a, a firm would have to notify uh new york state about a breach and consumers about the fact that there are personal information on and again new york defines personal information differently than california um personal information personally identifiable information is a subset of a larger umbrella called private information so yeah it's it's just a perfect example of how Every state is kind of coming at it through a different lens. I mean, again, Washington state, which hasn't passed yet, they've been really aggressively, um, you know, working on a very broad bill, but, um, you know, it has a section in there about uh, there can be no surreptitious surveillance. Well, I'm going to think for a long time about exactly what that means. Um, And, you know where oklahoma <clears throat> you know one of the reddest of states has some of the most stringent um kind of restrictions about personal information and data privacy up uh, again for um as legislation this year <clears throat> it's just it, it's just a kaleidoscope you know when you look across the the 50 different states of how we're all approaching this and it's it's creating next to a near impossible job you know for, for a security <laughs> professional.
0: No, totally. And I, I have to say, as an aside, just I'm gonna steal surreptitious surveillance as like some smooth jazz band name or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> great, but, great. Uh, So you, you're talking, you've pointed out, you know, the, the, the difficulties already of dealing with different states, different regulations, different requirements that are possibly not even well-defined in, in terms. Now I wanna throw in there the technical side of things too, in the sense, you know, we have the Apple store and they've started pushing for like, disclosure requirements, right? Or sort of like privacy labels for their apps. How does this start to impact the ecosystem? Is it making, just what what does this mean in terms of complexity? And does this have any bearing on, you know, everything you were just talking about with states as well?
2: Yes, it does. And, you know, this morning, thinking about uh, coming on here and talking to you folks about data privacy for a bit, I couldn't get that 80s commercial. We're talking a bit about, uh, there was a, (laughs) a guy who played a doctor on like a soap opera and he was hawking cough syrup and he said, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV and then recommends this cough syrup. I really feel like we're asking our security engineers to be security engineers, but play lawyer and, you know, understanding what I need to do to meet compliance measures on production systems. And I think that's where it really starts to get into, okay, so what does this mean from a practical standpoint? Uh, for me, who is who's trying to keep a production infrastructure secure and compliant, what does it mean to me? How how am I going to translate all of these different state laws into an application to make sure that I'm secure and that I'm compliant, you know, d- regardless of, of what state law I might be uh, held liable to? And uh, there aren't great answers right now, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but I, I really think I want to bring home two things. And and first of all, it's that, you know, don't make your security engineers play lawyers on production systems. This is really a separate job within an organization. If, it, if you're a medium to large size business, um, you know, this is enough movement and enough uh, serious teeth in the legislation in terms of a litigation possibilities for consumers that organizations need to start thinking about privacy officers or um, you know broadening the compliance departments to include legal counsel or at least reference legal counsel on these issues and then translate that into business requirements for your security teams and how operations may have to adjust to meet those standards as an example california's law uh, the laws in california have a lot of access you know rights for consumers um, and it you know starts to bring up questions in terms of how you have uh, kind of categorized and classified and organized your data within your organization. Are you prepared to give an end user right, you know, access rights to corporate data? It's a real requirement now for some organizations. Um, but again, I think, you know, creating requirements from a, body within your organization that is not necessarily on your security team because they have to be focused on what they're meant to do which is keeping data secure you can have security without privacy but you can't have privacy without security so translate privacy requirements trickling down from different states into business requirements or security requirements and then give them to your your teams to implement um, I think that's kind of like the the primary recommendation I would make right now to most organizations.
0: Now, that makes sense, and so I have to ask too, you know, looking at this from the naive perspective, I'm going to have to guess that I can't just say as the security team, we encrypted transit, we encrypt at rest, and that takes care of confidentiality and therefore privacy is resolved, because you were just explaining very succinctly right there about access rights. So right. what does this mean then, you know, we have, as you're describing, a, a privacy officer or a data officer um, right. pushing requirements to a security team. Would this Also lead to even possibly like a privacy engineering team. In other words, you know, engineers working and developing, implementing these types of requirements. And if so, you know, where can they start to look for? Are there there frameworks that can help them out of this cloud of ambiguity?
2: Yeah, no, that's that's a great place to start. So I do think if if those organizations start to grow and, and and they will become necessary. I just it it will happen, and it's happening fast. Um, again, 15 states right now in 2021, but I, it, it'll be 17 next week, you know? Um, so w- once that kind of division is established and we can s- push requirements of compliance requirements down to security teams to implement, you know, like what do security teams do in the interim? And it just to start to understand what a best practice might be. Um, and I would recommend, you know, uh, the national Institute for standards and technology are NIST. Um, A lot of folks who've gone through any kind of FedRAMP accreditation are deep into some NIST, you know, 853, 837. Um, But they did publish just last year, version 1.0 of um, a privacy framework that's really enterprise, like leaning through the lens of enterprise risk management, which they tend to do. But um, it's it's definitely a good place to, to take a look and start and say, maybe start a gap analysis. Um, In addition, I I think a lot of people focus on ISO 27001, but there are uh, provisions, additional um, provisions, 277001 and two are around a privacy uh, framework, privacy for information systems management. Um, And... You know, also NIST is, has got some projects going on right now that are just in the infancy, in terms of really taking from the community. And I, I, again, I can't stress this how important this is for the community to get involved. Security engineering and operations to talk about. You know, I'm cloud first. I'm fully cloud native. A lot of the challenges organizations have right now is are these compliance controls as they stand. Like we talk about. FedRAMP, we talk about SOC 2. If I'm cloud first, if I'm cloud native, let alone forget Linux, none of these controls necessarily even map to what I'm doing today. I'm already challenged. Now throw data privacy, like access rights into there and it's going to be, you know, my head's going to explode. So um, again, I I think get involved in the conversation with NIST around um, best practices. So those can be, Hopefully reflected in the controls moving forward um, and, you know, start to look seriously at uh, either NIST or the ISO 27701 privacy frameworks um, to to just have kind of a, a groundwork.
0: Yeah, I think John and I like to joke quite often about we, we come across long articles or long PDF documents and um, joke about, oh, that's some reading homework for us. And um, I tried <laughs> to prep for this and was reading through, for example, the NIST privacy framework you're pointing out. It's, it's just barely a year old now. And, um you know, one of their points is conduct a privacy risk assessment by using your data map and I had to pause right there and think, oh, right, we need a data map. Mm-hmm. So suddenly it sounds like there's a, there's just tons of foundational work to do, right?
2: Absolutely. It's like, dun, 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 data map. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, um, there is. And, and have you segregated um, your, you know, customer data, or in New York, it's even more complicated in terms of what private information means, into a repository that is more accessible um, to consumers than maybe, say, my corporate data do I have a data map? Do I have a data strategy for that? Um, you know, identity again, I think 2021, we're going to start talking a lot more about identity and access management, not only, you know, internally, but how are we going to, from an organizational standpoint, you know, that identity now being the perimeter now that we're all working from home. Um, Mm -hmm. but also too, that we're going to have to start to have user friendly tools, um, that allow consumers to access their information on the systems that we manage. That's real. Those, These are hard requirements in these new privacy legislations.
0: So I want to roll back for a second too, because you're bringing up the cloud and I'm kind of curious, I want to ask, you know, does the cloud make this harder or easier? That's rather than just sort of a binary question, like what about the cloud makes this different or does it really matter that I'm in the cloud, or that I have a mobile app, or you know, what 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 are the aspects perhaps maybe to consider um, when trying to look at these requirements that will that may make your your life easier? I guess I'm just trying to 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 grab for something to be helpful to say, oh, I need to make some technical decisions or some design decisions. Mm-hmm. What 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 might be what, what might be a great way to to help that mind along?
2: Um, well, I guess really two things about the cloud. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of efficiencies and you can start to bake in compliance, um, with like a cloud first approach in terms of, um, you know, hardening images or having prepared images dependent on kind of the compliance needs. So I have say a, a PCI workload that I need to spin up to, that's, that's subject to PCI requirements, you know, that can be pre-baked in, in terms of all of the, um, uh, you know patching and controls that I might need. So if if you are sophisticated enough of a shop that you can start to think about this and and bring it from kind of like the the CI/CD pipeline into uh production, sure, it it can be easier, but I also think there's like a a false sense of security that if I move this to the cloud, I'm suddenly going to be compliant in many areas because you know, if I leverage cloud infrastructure, sure, my cloud service provider can give me a lot of these um, accreditations just downloadable off the shelf, but there's still shared responsibility, especially when it comes to data. um, That's not the cloud service provider's, um, you know, kind of ball of wax in terms of something that they're going to help you with in terms of compliance. And so for privacy, I'm not sure that it really, you know, in what we're talking about in terms of organizing a data map, uh, moving to the cloud is not necessarily going to um, accelerate that. You know, it's still a, a, an exercise the organization will have to undergo regardless of where you are on that cloud native journey. I hope that answers your question. (laughs) Oh, yeah,
0: it it totally does. And I'm sitting back here, um, you know, my my list of things to do on the technical side uh, is getting longer and longer. And it's mostly like, what is going on on the the legal side? How do I become, you know, it's a little bit more dangerous to say, you know, I play a a, a lawyer on TV. And now, like you were saying, now I have to play one in my code. Um, that's right. just kind of a scary prospect, because, and I think too, you know, may, looping back to the beginning, you're also pointing out a lot of the things in the news and what the consequences can be of yes. messing up privacy from breaches or other things like that. I don't know if there's something more that um you maybe want to want to emphasize there about why this is so important to have a discussion about. So, in
2: 2020. Um, you know, the California, the CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, existed. It became enforceable um, in Jan 2020. Um, the New York Shield Act became enforceable in March, I want to say, of 2020. So, you know, we were all a little preoccupied, understandably, um, but both of these have teeth in terms of uh, the consumers can litigate. And I think we are and have seen in, at least in GDPR, if we use that as any kind of baseline, um, massive fines. I mean, we really are setting up privacy to have uh, the legislation that exists and is up for um, consideration in different states has the same kind of teeth that we've seen in some of the kind of catastrophic GDPR fines, um, you know, in, in the EU. We're setting that up in the US right now. And right now, California, uh, with the CPRA, has, again, um, a data protection authority, which is kind of a governing body, which can actually uh, implement fines and, and, you know, fine companies for compliance violations of the CCPA. Right now, they're kind of our de facto U.S. data protection, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, data protection authority, because no other state really has one yet. But Mm. I'm sure they're coming. um, And, yeah, there's there's real teeth to this. Um, you know that that that's sort of interesting
3: for our listeners to think about, um, because we've we've had these things now for a while, right? And it, it sounds a little bit, I think, like um, I go screw up my analogies, but uh, um, crying wolf uh, from the point of view of we've um, we've been hearing about oh my god, GDPR is coming, GDPR is coming, and then California, New York, and blah blah blah, Washington. And my understanding about Washington, part of the reason this has been held up up here, um, is they've been fighting to try and put teeth into that law. Uh, And I think that's the, what you're just saying is actually a really interesting point for our listeners to sort of focus on. Um, This stuff has been around, yeah, we've been talking about it for for years, but um, it's about to get sort of nasty if if you don't, or excuse me, painful if you're not actually um, uh, working towards compliance on those or are actually in compliance.
2: Correct. I think that is a fair statement to kind of really drive home. Um, you know, GDPR. We we just have a couple years of data really now uh, in terms of um, really what fines look like. And even if we use that as a, an example of what potentially could happen in the U.S., um, there are plenty of organizations out there who have have analyzed uh, GDPR fines. Um, and how the unevenness, even in the EU, of the application of fines, um, you know, Italy is an example, I'm just kind of making this up, but Italy might fine an organization, you know, several hundred thousand euros where the UK could move it to the millions. So there's a lot of subjectivity really reflects the. Um, the values of the nation, you know, the state in the EU, um, the member state in the EU, and it's gonna be the same in the US. Um, I don't think it's crying wolf uh, if, if in terms of, if we look at the fines that occurred in the EU just in 2020, um, you know, we are, I think in the billions at this point. So, and, and, and the truth of the matter is, people care about this now. Um, you know, we're starting to, to get that eerie feeling that our phones are listening to us. We are starting to, um, you know, maybe shop for something. And now I have tons of targeted ads at me. Not to mention there's people who have, um, you know, certain organizations that have real concerns about, uh, tracking. There's a lot of, um, you know, biometric concerns, Illinois kind of is leading the way on that. But I do think there's a, an increasing awareness about the implications to my day to day life, me as a consumer. Um, and it, it's people are going you, you are going to start to see impact in terms of uh, fines.
0: This is where we're just going to be quiet and consult our I lawyers know, so we don't, don't you know, get some, some fines of right. our own. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things maybe to sort of, um you know, as, as we get to the, the the end here, um what would be some ways you mentioned, you know, getting in with NIST, getting in with some of those um. Uh, Frameworks. Some of the working groups that are that that are in fact working on this. What yes. would be some of the the, the problem statements? Or what would be some of the areas where you would love to see um, improvements? Uh, w- whether it's better documentation, better requirements, better something else.
2: Yeah. No. I am. Um, if I had a magic wand, I I would say that we we need um to to decide on terminology you know, uniformly across the United States. It's going to become next to impossible if I'm private information means one thing in this state and another thing in that state. So I think clear problem statements, what are we trying to solve? Like, what are what are the challenges? What are consumers concerned about? Um, making that problem statement and then making sure we all agree on basic terminology, like publicly identified, personal information, what constitutes that? Uh, What does the term sale mean? Should consumers be able to opt in or opt out? Right now we have a patchwork of, um, in Oklahoma, it's opt in. I think that's true. Yeah. And every other state right now it's opt out. So that's going to be hard to manage in terms of my privacy notices on my website. Um, Defining terms. um, Having, you know recognizing that, uh, California right now being the only one with a, uh, data protection, uh, authority that, that may, they could be de facto start to implement fines that maybe that needs to, to move up to, um, a higher level in, in, in government, maybe across the U S. Uh, but before there's federal legislation, I'd prefer to see, um, a standard definition of terms and a standard definition of care. You know, the security Mm -hmm. engineer and security professionals are having to react to all this in real time. And the truth of the matter is um, none of this is possible if I can't keep my production system secure. So, you know, asking them to jump into this project or that project um, isn't really fair if we can't even tell them what words mean.
0: I, what do words mean? I, I'm coming off, with, you know, speaking of 80s, so I'm <laughs> trying to think of the, the songs that come to mind.
2: <laughs> I perfect
0: But, um, yeah but um in that case, I, I do want to just say, um you know this has been a quite an illuminating uh, discussion. Thank you very much, Cynthia. and um if we haven't made you know listeners' lives hard already on the security side of things, um throwing in another fifty or so different um possibly competing requirements around privacy, um, I guess is going to keep them busy on a Monday. I
2: guess so it, it keeps the Mondays, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs>
0: in the Mondays. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us, Cynthia. It was great having you.
2: Thanks for having me. I
0: also want to thank John and thank all of our listeners. If you'd like to learn more about Capsulate, visit securityweekly.com Capsulate. Um, also, uh, one of Cynthia's colleagues, Brandon, has an upcoming webcast on targeting, exploiting, and defending Linux. So make sure to catch that one too. We're going to take a quick break now and
2: return with news of the week.